With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tennis.com podcast. New year, same podcast, same individuals. Join me again, Pete Bodo, Richard Pagliaro. I'm Ed McGrogan. Here after the first uh, very busy week of play um, on the tennis world, you know, we just got done, too, with nice slate of football games yesterday, too. Really tough, Great games. tough losses for... You know, who's the worst loss? They're Packers fans in the cold. You have the Chiefs fans who blew a 28-point lead. You have Cincinnati fans who are just despondent because their quarterback isn't who they thought they were. Who, who had the worst? Who had the Chiefs, worst? I think. The Chiefs because they were, you know, they're so hyped coming in. You know, Chiefs and even the Eagles, I think. Yeah, they of course, they, they go down to, um, at home to the sixth seed there. Um, that was all Sunday. Pretty much everything wrapped up Saturday for tennis. This was, like I said, um, this was as difficult a weekend to cover as you could think of from a uh, pure writing point of view just because you have tournaments in Australia and the Middle East, kind of one after the other, and big players in pretty much all of the events um, from Venus Williams to Anna Ivanovich in, in Auckland. You have Rafa in Doha. You have a b- big field in Brisbane, of course. Um, let's start right in Brisbane with, with Serena, who beats Sharapova. She beats Azarenka. She wins the title. Um, you know, Pete, you wrote about this. Did did you from Sharapova see anything that would suggest she is any closer to really getting that elusive win over Serena? She always tends to put a really rosy picture on her losses for one reason or another, but did you really see anything to get, you know, worked up about? What did she say? She'd found 14 ways to lose to Serena said instead that. of saying Serena beat me 14 times. You know, I, I can kind of appreciate what she said. I wouldn't dump on her too much for that. But I actually think she moved very, very well and I think struck the ball very, very well for a large, large portion of that match. But again, you know, comes to the big points and the tough moments. Serena really pulled it out. I don't see anything different strategically except for one big thing, which was her seeming willingness to volley more. Now, she didn't volley a heck of a lot, but there are a couple of key moments when she actually came in behind an approach shot, came up to the net, actually won a point. And I think that could be a, a big ticket item for her going forward. And then, you know, as I said, after that match, Serena plays Azarenka in the final. Um, you know, another kind of instance of Azarenka being one of those rare players who can really, I think, get Serena thinking, get her a little bit out of her comfort zone there. But you know, the result was the same as we've seen for the most part. I mean, we already had Serena as such a prohibitive favorite heading into Melbourne before this week. I mean, is, um, you know, to Richard, is do we even call her even greater favorite now, or is it just kind of one of those things, you know, it is the first week of the season, and it's kind of, you know, is what it is on its own. 
I, I think she's the overwhelming favorite, but we saw last year with the ankle injury, if she gets a little banged up or nicked up, it could be a factor. But, I mean, that Sharapova match, Serena hit seven doubles, served 41% and one in straight sets. I mean, there's no way in hell she's going to serve 41% in a big Grand Slam match. It's, I mean, at least she hasn't done that in years, you know. So I think if you're Sharapova, that's tough because you, ha you had a match where she did not serve nearly as well as she could have and – you still lost in straight sets. So there were, there it was a tie-break set. I mean, it was a, it was a hard fought set. The you know, there one. was a few instances this week across all tours where I thought, you know, just like in mid-season form, some of the top players didn't have their best stuff, but, you know, rarely did a player take advantage of that. Hewitt's kind of the exception against Federer. But, you know, for the most part, it, in the end, it was kind of a chalk weekend uh, in a way. Um, you could say even Rafa wasn't at his, you know, best right. in those in those last two matches. Yeah, that's kind of what I was I was thinking of there. Um, you know, he he's in Doha, um, ends up playing two three setters there. Um, Djokovic takes this week off. He was the really the one player who didn't play this week. But you know, for Rafa, um, you know, I think you kind of go into Australia with that perception that. Yeah, maybe it's really just kind of a co-favorite with Djokovic at this point. It, it's tough to discern between the two. Djokovic had that incredible end, great end of last year. Djokovic, of course, two or three-time defending champion, but it, it's really kind of splitting hairs, I think. You know, but you gotta love the way Rafa came up, and you know, he played three five-set, three three-set matches in his five matches. And you know what? These other guys, Berdick, Ferrer, Gasquet, who else? I'm, I'm missing somebody Andy there. Top-seeded guy, Andy Murray. You know, they go out there and, okay, granted, there's a lot of appearance money, so they don't really have to do great. They're still going to get a huge paycheck. But, you know, those guys, you know, they sort of, whatever, you know, they, they lose, whether it's because, you know, they're kind of just tuning up or whatever. But here's Rafa struggling. Like, this could have been, you know, this could have been in, in, in August in Cincinnati, and he's fighting for the number one ranking, and there he is going through winning. I think that's a very, very positive sign for Nadal. He's going he's gonna to barrel into the Australian Open, I think, with you know, looking like he, he needs to do some work on his game because he struggled a little bit, but his boy, no question where his heart and head are at. Mm -hmm. Right, even his reaction after the Montfit, you could see he really wanted that match, and that was good to see as well, that it, that it meant something to him, you know. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. I know you've called Doha, Doha with the O-U-G-H. I haven't done that this year. Yeah, oh, you should have reminded classic. me earlier. That's a classic Pete, uh, Pete Post line there. Um <laughs> Go back to the women just quickly. Um, I got a question to either of you, to both of you, about the two Auckland finalists, Venus Williams, Anna Ivanovic, who we've discussed to death here. We both know their limitations. They're kind of their ceiling. They've both obviously have won huge events before. They both reach a final. Ivanovic wins. Um, you know, which of those two do you think will actually have the better year overall? Because, I mean, you can't really tell with Venus's health, of course, and everything. Venus is still shown in the in the few tournaments that she's played, and even dating back late last year, um, she had a you know, she had a nice fall before calling it calling it a season. There, Ivanovic, we've we've seen really unable to break through that sort of number fifteen spot, um, but both of them, of course, really you know obviously super capable players. You know what, what's kind of their outlook for? Either one or both of these women, you know, as the year approaches, I would say overall, I think Anna, you know, start to finish could have a bigger, a bigger year because just because of the surface, you know, she's a little bit better on clay in my mind, and I think 
you hit on it, the health. I mean, she's younger and healthier, but I think Venus's high could be higher. I mean, I think if Venus gets hot, especially because the serve, the first serve is still such a weapon, you know, she could put together a night. You've seen her do that in Miami, other big events where she can just get hot on serve and really put it together. I just wonder over the course of a full 10 months, it, it just seems to really, the illness seems to just really drain her. But she that was a really good effort, I thought, from her, a really good effort. I'd like to see Anna do kind of what Pete said about Sharapova, come in a little bit more once in a while because she hits the ball flat enough where she can move you, but she's a little bit reluctant to move forward. I'd like to see her. I'd like to see her do that. And remember last year at the Open, she took Vika to three sets. She played a, a real tough match against Vika. Yeah, she's about due. I mean, you know, she works so hard. She and, does. You know, she's, you know, granted, she's everybody's good girl in quotes. And, you know, she's hardworking, diligent. She turns down movie roles to work on her game and stuff. And, you know, at some point that stuff I think will pay off. I don't know if it'll pay off consistently. I don't really see her getting to be like a top five player again. But what she's lacking, too, is some big wins. You know, she's... That's yeah. sort of why I asked the question because, I mean, not that long ago she was that top five player and... and uh I think I think that ship's come and gone myself. But the other thing you got to fact, factor in with Venus, and actually it applies to Serena, and it applies to Roger, and it applies to David Ferrer, and some other very big names, is their age. And granted, it's great that they're playing so well at 32, but at 32, you you start to get those puzzling matches that you lose unexpectedly. Yeah. Now it hasn't happened with Serena Knockwood for her, you know that it won't happen. But you know you got to look at that and say, look, is anybody going to be shocked? If, if any of these 32, 33-year-olds, you know, have a really bad day, you know, no, because that's what happens when you get old. You get too many miles on a clock, and, and you can't sustain that, you know, high-level, day-in, day-out, tournament after tournament. So it would, I, Yeah, it would still be a shock for Serena, but I, I think to everyone else, I think we've almost been conditioned to it. I think if with Federer especially, we've got, we're going to get into that as, you know, these, are, these days are, they're just, they're now not the abnormal days. They are just what Federer is right now. And for Venus, um, you know, she played Serena in uh, Charleston final last year. I kind of was predicting before that match, I was like, this is, I feel like this is the last time we're ever going to see these two play each other. Venus looks so hobbled kind of going into that at that point. Didn't give a good final either. But, you know, like this is kind of why I sort of bring up this, you know, what, forecasting what Venus can still do or what we think she can do is, you know, Almost to my surprise, she is still steadying on and keeping going and really always reminding us sort of in her pressers, you know, about what she's contending with from her health, but really still playing on and, you know, no indication really of retirement. Right, because even the presser there after the, she was pretty adamant, look, I'm I'm here, I'm not going anywhere, I'm seeing myself playing for as long as I can play, you know, almost... Uh Sort of reaffirming, like don't mm-hmm. don't write me off. I'm going to be around. So and I think that's it's great motivation for Serena. What I love about that situation is that you know I, you know I I really wonder myself if Venus had called it quits at the end of last yeah. year, she calls it quits next week or whatever. How's that going to impact Serena? Because I think it would definitely impact her. I think not having Venus around, not having a whole the whole buzz, that familiarity that they've developed, not being able to play doubles together. Although I I kind I kind of see them playing doubles forever. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean they yeah. can they can fill a stadium playing doubles. So. You know, so but it would be interesting to see what happens. You know, is the does the William spell get broken when one of them? I'll tell you, to speak to your point, I remember years ago Serena saying in a presser, "When Venus goes, I." I mean, it was that Mm. they were that intertwined. I don't think she'd say that today, but I can remember her saying that. You know, I'm here till my sister goes. You know, yeah, that's a good point there. Um, Let's move to Federer, who 
loses to Hewitt in the Brisbane final. The um, hottest rivalry in men's tennis, Roger Federer, Leighton Hewitt. <laughs> Hewitt's won two of the past three. Both right? finals. Both finals. He went in a period, I was just looking at this today, in from 2004, Australian Open, I think until 2000, I think it might, might have been 2008 or, or, or 2011, actually, I think, without a win over Federer. And now it's payback time. He's won two of the last three. And my prediction is that Federer draws Leighton Hewitt in the first, first round Australian <laughs> Open. Yeah, I don't think that – yes. Federer better start using that 200-square-inch racket. <laughs> he uh, – you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I kind of want to let you two both speak to what maybe you take away from that match. I, you know, I stayed up for this one and saw Federer start just incredibly poorly, uh, very, you know – I, this week also we saw Roger for the first time going forward with that 98 square inch racket, committing to it for the whole year. You know he played with it last year. This time the decision has been made, and I don't think there's any really going back. Um, particularly with with maybe what you end up foreseeing with Edberg by his side there, and did so much for his serve the past those two matches. Even the Hewitt match kind of kept him going, uh, kept him really afloat despite such a poor first set, which he lost in 27 minutes, shanked every ball you can think of. Um, but ultimately, I think the inconsistency that we saw from him last year was just it was just not enough against really a player who's been kind of the model of consistency, even though Hewitt hasn't been able to you know, get back to where anywhere close to where Federer is. They're both 32, as you mentioned there. Um, it's a week probably for Federer that, I think you have to sort of qualify it as a, as a bit of a success. He got a lot of matches in between singles and doubles in Brisbane. That's a tough way to go out to lose to someone who has been, you know, easily since the start of their rivalry, since Federer turned it around, it's been one-sided. Um, but, you know, I kind of want your thoughts on where, on what we see from Federer heading into what I think is a pretty pivotal Australian Open for him. I think in a preview for Federer, you wrote, Pete, that, if Federer doesn't have a great Australian Open, I think you think you thought those doubt, those thoughts of self-doubt might re-establish themselves, and we saw those pretty much all summer last year. And we'll see what happens with Federer as you know this month goes on. I'll tell you, I thought a year ago at this time that it was a case of a of a lapse, and now I think this is the player who, who he is, and that's not to write him off or anything, but this is what you're going to see, that he's going to have... Ma- I mean, it reminded me the first set a little bit of the Tommy Haas match in Cincy last year where he got blown out in the first set, but then he quickly regrouped and won it, only this time he couldn't. To me, the, the thing is the consistency is not there, although we're in the first week of the season, so how can you be consistent? But... The recurring theme is the break. I mean, he had a look at 10 break points. I think he broke them once. He was 0 for 7 in the final set, too. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's putting himself into position to get – and he just can't get that one key break, and that was kind of a recurring theme last year, and he's got to get over the hump with that just to take – just to alleviate the pressure on his own serve. I think it start – 
playing from in front a little bit more rather than I'm always chasing and chasing and chasing because then it's a cumulative like like the Robredo match at the Open last year where he had chance, 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 didn't do it, and then he just goes out straight, you know. It's just almost like, geez, it's not my day, you know. That kind of – I think it just kind of builds mentally, psychologically on him. Go ahead. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, Pete. I think he has – I think he also has a big sort of almost technical problem that's age-related, which is his his service return is not doing it for him. And it's not just, granted, he's, you know, he's blowing break points, so he's getting break points, so he's doing something right in the return game to get the game points. But, you know, his return game just isn't what it should be. And this is, you know, this has been the era of the returner. And I think in the past... He was able to get away with that so-so return game because his offense was so spectacular and his whole game was so good. But now, you know, I, I, and I think, you know, if, if you're going to figure your reaction times, now it's one thing to be involved in the flow of a match, running after balls, chasing balls, reactions, quick reactions. Here's a different situation. The guy's standing stock skill. He's got to essentially neurologically read that ball coming off the racket, make a decision in his mind where he's going with it. You know, set up and hit the ball. You know, with, with decent form, so he can achieve what he wants. And I think that that gets harder with age. I think you lose that quarter of a second of neurological reaction. You can you can hide that. I think in rally tennis, I don't think you can hide that returning. And I think, I mean, I gotta believe that if they're working on anything right now, it would be something somehow to beef up that return game, so we can so we can do better with the return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. Edberg was not there in Brisbane. He'll, we won't see him until Melbourne here. And he's defending semifinal points from Australia. He had a good Australian Open last year. So I think that's another thing is just in the back of your mind, the pressure. Gee, if I go out early, Burdich is breathing down my neck. Forget about top four. Forget about top five. I'm looking at Right. It could be seven or eight, and then, you know, Varinka is not that far behind either, you know. Just about who I was about to mention is, uh, speaking of... And who's yoga. playing well, too. Varinka's so playing real he well. He won this week uh, a he tournament. He crushed people over there in India. Yep, yeah, and, you know, and you know, we talk about where Federer may fall. Kind of what is Varinka's ceiling? I mean, especially after a, a, a fantastic year last year where we really elevated him out of that... You know, he is firmly in that just here, just below the top guys there. Um, and for and beats Murray at the Open for the second time. I mean, it's not like he's beating nobody, beating quality there, players. Vavrinka's stock continues to do well, I think, overall here. So it's, Which is uh, funny because, you know, a lot of people had very – I mean, we tend to forget because it's so long ago, but people had very, very high expectations of him, and he totally sort of dropped the ball on that, basically. And, you know, sort of – became one of these, you know, shuttling in between the top 20 and the top 40. Occasional good win. Everyone wants to say, oh, look, Vavrinka's playing really well. Is this the time? And then, no, he'd, he'd lose again. And now it looks it looks to me like he's actually developing that momentum, and somehow it's almost a maturity issue, that he's matured as a competitor, and he's not going to, like, get to the semis of a tournament and then figure, fine, I'll coast for the next two weeks, that he's really going to be – that's really he's really be in there competitive every time he plays. Yeah. Um, will be, uh, you know, these two gentlemen here and myself will have a lot on the Australian Open this coming week. Um, Steve Tigner will be down there. Pete and I will be uh, also doing some video work, too. We'll be shooting that in just a few minutes here, actually. Um, so check out all that this week on Tennis.com. And the tournament begins Sunday night in the U.S. time. And uh, set, I don't think set your alarms is the right way to put it. Just kind of get in your PJs essence. by 9 o'clock at night. Get your coffee ready at you know eleven o'clock at night. This is a, a t- one for the devoted. And if you're listening to this, if you're still listening to this, 
18 minutes in, you're probably one of those people there. So, And you missed Pete's David Bowie impression before <laughs> we went on, which maybe he'll do on, on the video. This is ground yeah. control to Major Tom. It's our headset. <laughs> we better Th- shut up. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. Thank you both, and thank you all for listening. Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying Tennis.com's weekly podcast. Thanks for listening. For all the latest news and events, head over to tennis.com.